Um, if you have not been able to stay in touch or online or just haven't gone online and watched, we're halfway through a sermon series, so that's okay. You can always go back and watch them later because they're online. Um, we are working on six words that shape our faith. Now, where this, this, this series idea kind of came from was, one, I was never going to finish the book of Acts. <laughs> but two, and I've never really done this, we have the transition coming in just three Sundays, right? And I've never had to preach final sermons before. Certainly not a final sermon before. And so my thought process was, even if some of this is review, what are a few things or words or truths that I want to kind of leave behind as I go? Does that make sense? I think they're critical. I don't think they're like, oh, I think these, if you didn't hear anything else in three years, get this is kind of the thought process, right? And they're truths that we've talked about for years. They're truths that you've known as long as you've been in church. But it's fun to talk about them. To bring them, to boil the faith down to six words that shape our spiritual life is critical. If you've missed them so far, it's been mission. And the mission we live on shapes our faith. Faith and the way you live by faith can shape your spiritual walk for sure. And then last week I talked about abiding in the spiritual habit of literally experiencing God's presence. What does that look like? How does that shape who I am? How does that change me? And today I want to use the I want to talk about the word worship. Now, in honesty, I was kind of saving this one for two more weeks from now, but it seemed perfectly appropriate and way too on the nose to finally be back together and not talk about worship. Right? So I want to talk about how worship shapes our spiritual walk, our spiritual life. I'm convinced, and you may be too, after we've gone through all we've gone through in the last couple months, that we need a new definition of the word worship. If you've had the thought in the last couple of months, I have not worshipped since March, then you prove my point. We need a much broader understanding of the idea of what worship is, what it involves, what it extends to. As happy as we are to be together, it's far more than being in a building. And as much as we miss this when it's gone, and as much as we realize now this is a privilege to be celebrated, this is not the only time you worship, believe it or not. Now, I shared with you a word a couple of years ago, and you'll have no way of remembering because it was a couple of years ago. So this is a refresher because I think it's a critical word, and it's the Hebrew word, avadah. It is the Hebrew word for work. The Hebrew word translated service, and the Hebrew word is sometimes translated worship. Now, think about that. Because what that tells me, like there are passages in the Old Testament where Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He could be just as easily saying, me and my house, we will worship the Lord. Same word. And when Moses is talking to Pharaoh and he says, let us go out into the desert where we can worship or where we can serve, it's the same word. And so if worship is the same root word in Hebrew as work or serving, then my inclination to understand, we talk about the definition of worship. Worship is not limited 
to a particular time. As much as we're happy to be together, worship is not only Sunday morning. If worship and the concept of worship is the same word as work, then your nine to five can be worship. I know it doesn't feel like that sometimes. But anything that you do that serves God, anything that you do, you do for the glory of God. Anything you do that's what he has called you to do, we have that word we call vocation, right? My calling on my life. Then when you are doing that thing for God's glory, you are worshiping God. Now for me, that's a radical concept. When I, somebody shared that with me, I used to feel guilty about, oh, I've missed quiet time for a few days, right? But when you realize that I'm worshiping on Sunday morning, but I'm also worshiping when I do something for somebody else. I'm also worshiping when I do my job to the best of my possible ability. I'm glorifying God. I'm worshiping. It's not limited to 11 a.m. on Sunday. And one of the reasons it's not limited to 11 a.m. on Sunday is we were made to worship. I'll get into more on that later, but we were built to worship something. And so it's not just a time or just, in fact, this whole arbitrary, my spiritual life and then my other life is a false category. Can you imagine walking up to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, how's your spiritual life? How do you think he would respond to that? My hunch is he'd say, my dear child, all of life is spiritual. Jesus didn't have, I'm going to be spiritual today and feed 5,000 people, but tomorrow I'm not. <laughs> right? His whole... Our existence is a spiritual experience. We were made to worship in everything that we do. Not only is worship not a particular time, it's also not a particular place. Turn with me to John chapter 4. This is verses 19 to 24. Now the context is Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman at the well. If you know anything about that, you know Jews and Samaritans don't get along. Samaritans have intermarried with Gentiles, and so they're considered less than. So this is a race issue between Jews and Samaritans. You get what I'm saying? They had a problem with each other. They had set up their own. The Jews maintained that you could only worship God in Jerusalem at the temple. And the Samaritans were not allowed in the temple because they were considered less than. And so they had set up their own place of worship. And so as Jesus and the Samaritan woman are talking, this is where we pick up the conversation. In verse 19, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worship on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. So what is Jesus saying? 
The physical location has nothing to do with it starting now. That's what he kind of says. The time has now come that you won't just worship there or just worship there. You will worship everywhere. Now, in the Old Testament and to the Jewish people, when they were in the desert, they had a tabernacle that they built every time they camped out, and that was their seat of worship, their special place of worship. And the Spirit of God that was leading them through the wilderness would come and settle on the tabernacle once it was set up in a special way. His presence would show up in a special way. And then when they got to the promised land and David became king, his heart's desire was to do exactly what? Build a permanent place of worship for the people of God. God didn't let him. He let his son Solomon do that. Because he said, you'd shed too much blood to do this for me. But your son will build this tabernacle. And the holy of holies in the temple was the place where the Spirit of God would rest with the people of God in Jerusalem. So holy that if the priest didn't follow just the right procedures, they would be killed because they could not be in the special presence of God. And so it's that context that Jesus and this woman are having this conversation about where we should worship and where God is. And what Jesus says is, the day is coming, to translate this a little bit, where the Spirit of God will not just be on this mountain and in that temple. The Spirit of God will be in us. He's referring to Pentecost. He says, God is spirit and his worshipers will worship him in spirit. What does he mean? The presence of God now doesn't rest in a particular tabernacle. The scriptures call our bodies the temple of the Holy Spirit. The presence of God rests in each and every one of us. Whether we're gathered behind a mask or at home or online, the spirit of God rests with us now. And he's promising her that you won't just worship God just in the temple at an appointed time, on an appointed morning. Your whole life will worship God in spirit and truth. And he's referring to the Pentecost, to the arrival of the Holy Spirit, to the Holy Spirit that when we talk about in church, and Jesus comes into your heart, (laughs) right? We mean that. It's not just a nice Sunday school saying. It's the truth. The Holy Spirit lives in us if we call ourselves followers of Jesus. We don't have to go to a temple. We don't have to come here to worship. We don't have to only worship at 11 on Saturday, Sunday. (laughs) In fact, since church has been online for three months, you can have church on Monday night at 10 if you want, right? (laughs) You don't have to get up early. You can watch it at midnight if you want to. Worship is not bound to a particular place. Worship is not bound to a particular time. God calls us to be worshipers in spirit and in truth. And that has implications. That has some really, really important implications if we're not only worshiping at 11 on Sunday in a building. For one thing, if we could only worship at 11 on Sunday in a building, then none of us have worshiped for three months, and that's just not true. But it also means that worship exceeds this time and place. That it's more about our life and what our life is oriented around and what we spend our time and energy and resources doing than where we are and when we are. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6.
This is verses 19 to 24. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin can destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will love the one and hate the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now on its face, this is not necessarily a passage about worship. Or is it? It's not about worship, or is it? He says, where you store up your treasure, where your devotion rests, is where you're storing things up. Not to put your faith in things that will fade, or not last, or be stolen, or destroyed, but place your faith, place your worth, place your heart on things that will have an eternal impact. Place your heart and mind on things that will last. In other words, if your faith in the last three months has been in your business, it's faded. If your faith is even in your health, if your faith is in anything in this world, it can be taken away overnight. We have seen that. We've seen that. Instead, Jesus says, be devoted and to build up things in heaven. As you, instead of here, things that will have an etern- last in eternity, things that will be a, what you are all about. In other words, what you worship matters. You see, you, sorry, English teachers, double negative here. You can't not worship. You can't. The only question becomes what you worship. Because if you don't follow Christ and you don't come to church even for three months or for six months or a year, you still worship something. You still build your life around something. You still devote your life to something. You still are dedicated to something. You glorify something other than God. We are wired and made to worship. You can't not worship something. Whatever you consider, one of the things that the virus has revealed is what's truly important to us, right? That when you take away things you've taken for granted, things that you wanted to do, things that you've, places you've wanted to go, restaurants you've wanted to eat at, people you've wanted to see, when all that's taken away, you can clearly see what matters to you most. Now, I'm not saying you worship restaurants, <laughs> but you can see where your life is always going to be oriented towards something. The question is What? The way that worship shapes our spiritual life is what we worship. We can't help but worship. One of the things that was greatly missed this spring was sporting events, right? I had every intention of going to a college baseball game in Starkville the day they started shutting everything down. But I would argue that sports has some religious worship elements to it. I'll make a case. 
game day, you go to a center, you assemble with a large group of people, you give praise and cheer to the people on the field, you wear logos that identify your loyalty, you advocate for a particular team passionately, you're an apologist for how good your team is, you give money to attend, these are religious or spiritual practices. Do you not see that? Now, I'm not saying participating in college sports is a sin. It's not what I'm saying. But we form our loyalties. We, form, we have practices that show our devotion towards a particular sporting event or team or college or pro or whatever, and we, we, orient our, we develop those habits and practices to demonstrate that. It's religious behavior. Worshipful behavior. Because you could argue, Charlie, okay, if worship is not bound to a place and a time, then why come to church? <laughs> right? I just told you, you don't have to be here to worship. You don't have to be here at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning to worship. Wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. But what does this do, though? It's the place where we gather. It's the place where we sing praises, give our devotion, learn the truths of the faith, share those truths with others, and advocate for who Jesus is. They are worship practices that shape our hearts. In other words, we come here to worship and to do the rituals that we do, and we're going to take communion this morning, to do the spiritual habits and practices we do shape our hearts towards God instead of other things. Whatever your routine is, when you get up in the morning, cup of coffee before you can think, right? Like you have a morning routine that you follow through on, that you do every day. You ever driven somewhere and don't even remember the commute? Because you've driven it so many times, you get in the car, next thing you know you're there, you don't even remember what happened on the way there? Because you've done it over and over and over, and it has shaped how you get there and what you do. We do this over and over and over because it shapes our desire toward God. In the passage that I read, Jesus talks about our eyes being the light source for our body, the lamp to our body. And the eyes are the things that we desire with. We window shop, or these days, Amazon shop with our eyes, right? We window shop, we look, the things we see, and we just want it. Ooh, got to have that. We take that in through our eyes. And so when Jesus says that the, our eyes are the lights of our soul, our desire is what fills us. The things that we want most fill our body, fill our soul. And so it's, we, not only so we are wired to worship, it matters what we worship because what we worship fills our hearts and minds and life. It shapes who we are. And if we're worshiping all the time and we're never not worshiping, then what we do always shapes who we are. The things we spend our time on, our energy on, our money on, our devotion to is shaping us whether we even realize it or not. You ever been in a Starbucks and there's like people with a laptop with the headphones and the coffee? There's a, there's a ritual to what you do at Starbucks. People who are just sitting there drinking coffee look weird. Like everybody's got a device or everybody's got a conversation. There's a, there's a set of rituals that you have when you go to a mall. 
You have the certain stores you go to, the pattern you go to. Everything in our life is a ritual and a habit and shapes our heart in a certain direction. The only question is, what direction? What are we filling our heart, mind, and soul with? And so I would argue, if we're orienting our life towards glorifying God, that makes our work worship and our life worship and our service worship, then we can orient our whole life towards worshiping God all the time, not just on Sunday morning. But it also tells you why all these other things that will steal your desire are a threat to your ability to worship God all the time. Does that make sense? The reason, why do we have to care what we consume? I've seen people this week like, I'm over social media, it's too chaotic, which it is right now, right? The more we consume this stuff, what happens? Our hearts and minds get filled with the attitudes we're consuming on social media. It just does. If we're consuming our heart and mind with the truth of God and the Holy Spirit, then we're worshiping God all the time. So we need a broader, bigger, more robust, more powerful definition of worship than 11 a.m. on Sunday, as good as it is to be together. This is the practice that shapes who we are, but it is not the limits of worship. Worship is orienting our life so that all that we do glorifies God. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says that very thing. It says, whatever you do, whether you eat, drink, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Paul got it. Your whole life can be an act of worship. Everything. If that's where your life is oriented. If you orient your life toward anything else, it's idolatry even though we don't have idols, right? If my life is all about career, all about money, all about relationship, all about social media presence, all about whatever fill-in-the-blank it is, then it's not, it's idolatry, pure and simple. If our life is oriented around glorifying God, then we're always worshiping. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we are already worshipers of you. We've been made to worship you. That was the original intent, the original design, even from the garden where you placed us to work it. Our whole life has been around glorifying you. Direct the desires of our heart. Allow us to fill our hearts with light so that you may be glorified. Not in a particular time or place, all the time. Let our desire, let our hope, let our life, let our breath glorify you. In Christ's name, amen.